This is Democracy in Crisis, and I am Baynard Woods, here with Mark Steiner for the Center for Emerging Media. Yes, sir. Emerging right along with you. Good day. How are you? Uh, doing all right. It's It's been, uh, you know, things are... are Baltimore's been crazy. We, we yes. generally cover national politics, but I've been so deeply uh, engrossed in this... This police corruption trial, which should be a national story. It's crazy how little national coverage it has gotten. Geraldo, where are you now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing how it really becomes clear that people came here because they wanted to see a riot. Right. Um, that's why people came here. And right. and it, it really is, is sort of disgusting the way uh, to think back on, on the way that, that that works. No, absolutely. I mean, that's why, I mean, they... If police corruption is not something people look at as a national problem when it is a national problem. And what's happening here is similar to what's happening in many cities across this country. Baltimore is, I mean, has always been, has always had its police issues. Always. They've changed and morphed over the generations, but they've always been there. And I said to you before we walked in here that one of the things that strikes me about all this is that people not, have not paid attention, the media hasn't for a lot of interesting reasons, to the reality that many black folks who live in the inner city have been saying this stuff for years and years and years and years. Police are taking our drugs. Police are stealing our money. Police are shooting us. Police are doing things to us, uh, raiding our homes without search warrants. Nobody paid attention. Now it's all come out. The question is, will they have a NAP commission for the city of Baltimore, like they did in New York those years back, to really look at the height, depth, and breadth of this corruption? Where does it really go? All these other officers are named in the trial. Should they be investigated? Should, something should be happening. I mean, it's we're in a. Uh, this is a. And I think that, it, that well, the other thing they've been saying, we talked about as well, is a lot of people in the city have been saying some of the murders taking place in Baltimore have been either put up by the police with their snitches, right. or they've done it themselves. And and they also refuse to recognize that. How can they no longer say we really have to have a serious investigation of our of the, of the police in the city? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. And and I think you're right that it's not just people. It's easy to see it as a Baltimore problem because The Wire and right. and whatever else. And people love to see Baltimore as this. And we are a deeply dysfunctional place. I mean, uh, but people like to see Baltimore as this sort of exception, whereas this is what, in many cases, what urban policing is and what policing in general is. I mean, I... I Grew up in, in South Carolina, and one of the things that Herschel did, this guy, Tate, uh, who testified in the trial, uh, Daniel Herschel's one of the officers who was on trial and was found guilty last week, we should say, uh, since we've right. last talked, two of the officers, who the two officers who pleaded not guilty and stood trial were both found guilty um, on all charges except using a firearm in commission of a uh, crime of violence. So they were found guilty for a bunch of racketeering charges, uh, right. conspiracy charges, wire fraud charges. Uh, but he told this guy, if I see you on the side of town again, you're going to jail. And the next time he saw him again, he went to jail. And that same thing happened to me when I was 17 years old. Some, you know, Peckerwood cop in South Carolina said that that and the next week he saw me and he took my ass to jail. <laughs> and I mean, and that's just a, a white right. dude. And, and <laughs> I had long hair, you know, and that was his his sort of excuse to to want to uh, fuck with me and take me to, to jail. Um, but this is, we, we are terrified sort of as a population, I feel like. And so we give extreme powers to people, uh, to walk around with guns, to, um, 
you know, and and that's something that that is an American problem and not just a Baltimore problem is empowering people and not really wanting to ask the questions of what are they doing to get these guns off the street? What are they doing to get these drugs off the street? Uh, and, and, you know, like Young Moose, a rapper here, had been telling me since 2013, 2014, that Daniel Herschel was doing these things to him. And we wrote about it, but other places wouldn't. And, and right. that was at City Paper. The alt-weeklies cover this kind of stuff, but most places don't. And it's true. And I think that, you know, it also, if we're, if we're serious about this in our cities, you have to kind of look back 40 or 50 years when people like in, in Detroit, when James and Grace Lee Boggs, I think two of the greatest... Uh, revolutionary thinkers that we've ever had in this country um, talked about as 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 more black folks were being elected as as mayors of cities. They were saying the industrialization is going to happen, poverty is going to grow. We're going to have a lot of dislocation in our cities, and we have to start planning for a different kind of city and really embracing that and, and building a new world and building an alternative world to what this capitalist world wants to give us. That never happened. Um, people bought into the system and they became part of the system and it's a whole different discussion to have. But I'm saying that to say that this is part of a larger issue. This is not just about the police. This is about the police department's role in cities that are becoming increasingly dysfunctional because poverty has grown um, and people have been left out and shut out. That's, that's, that to me is the, is the real issue we should be talking about. Not, not that we shouldn't be talking about police corruption. We have to. You have to go after that. Um, but I think... We have to really get into the fundamental issues to talk about what changes this in the long run. You know, we have to have a NAP commission that they did in New York and really investigate this corruption and clear it out, shut it down and start over, whatever has to happen. But there are larger political, social, economic issues that have to be addressed in this, I think. Right. And instead of trying to address it in the way that, that you're saying the Boggs did or that, that um, Lumumba's doing in, in uh, Jackson. Or the, or the mayor of Stockton right now. Right. What well, we have as mayors, like like here in Baltimore and all over the the country, uh, scrambling for Amazon. The <laughs> the proposal that that uh, Baltimore sent out to to Amazon uh, was written by the people for Sagamore, which is Under Armour, which are developing uh, a new their new headquarters <laughs> in the southern part of of the city, and. Just yesterday, they released this this proposal. I, I suspect many of the cities that, and it's weird when you follow local news. Like I read alt weeklies in a lot of the cities, and they're all criticizing their local papers the same way for us. They made it seem like they were like the city that was going to get it for a long time when it was really just places were sending proposals. But here, it's insane. The exact opposite of that. The the complete neoliberal sort of wet dream of. We're going to let one corporation write the proposal to try to bring another corporation. The Under Armour people are going to write it for Amazon. And they, the, I mean, one of the most stunning lines to me was you get to make generational change right. on your own terms. That it's, they're letting Amazon, they're, they're inviting Amazon, who turned them down, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> to dictate their own terms of the deal. It's, it's just stunning. Well, I mean, I think that that also says a lot about. The role that developers play, developers play in local politics. They've always been, to me, they've been like the military industries in Congress, the defense industries in Congress, and 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 they. But look at the deal they got for Port Covington, and never had to really give anything back to the community. And so now they're the ones writing the proposal to bring Amazon here to build up their business. I mean, it's just, and and nobody is really speaking to the dangers of that, the nefarious nature of that. Maybe you are, 
<laughs> but very few people are in the press. And so, I mean, yeah, so Under Armour's had this, they got this huge amount of tax breaks, TIFFs, um, and like $660 million from the city, a whole lot more elsewhere. Uh, and now Under Armour's had really bad, a bad couple of years performing on the stock market. And despite this huge sort of, uh, or their earnings, and, and despite these huge sort of bumps that always come with deregulation, uh, but so they're planning to build this headquarters that's a new, and they've always said, oh, we're not competing with the city. But in the Amazon plan, you can see the line. They say, building Port Covington, the first master planned smart city is here. They mm. actually are telling Amazon that it's a city within our city and that they can come and take it over from there. I mean, that's just stunning to me that that, that is part of what... Uh, what they're saying there to advertise this. And that is what people who oppose the sweetheart deal they got, and sweetheart deals like that around the country have been saying all the time, that this is what it really is about. But everybody poo-pooed that. Oh, no. That's, not, that's nothing to do with it. What are you talking about? But, that, I mean, so this is, that's what I'm saying, that these things, the Amazon proposal written by another corporation to bring them here to make money, is directly connected to the issues to me with the police. They're not separate. They're part of a whole. And we always want to separate these things out, which makes sometimes, which is why it's difficult to do, but it makes it makes building a political alternative difficult if you don't kind of connect the dots. And that's where you see, I mean, I think you're exactly right. Like, one of the benefits of the Trump regime is that we're able to see those things come together so clearly. You have this developer as president with, like, a Jeff Sessions as attorney general who's talking about the Anglo-American tradition of Anglo-Saxon. law enforcement. Anglo-Saxon. Saxon, yeah. Anglo-Saxon. Anglo-Saxon tradition of, of sheriffdom. Right. Um, and, you know, which is is really makes clear how all... And I wanted to talk a little bit about some new studies about the alt-right that came out as yeah, well. But it really, get, please do. It, it really makes all how all of these things come together, how white supremacy, the economic neoliberalism... And this law and order stuff really, uh, really come together and and um, at least, I mean, as with the sexism and everything else, which is also obviously glaringly clear with this administration, um, the gift that these people are to us, if I can even say it that way, is that if we can't recognize our problems clearly right now, then when are we ever going to be able to recognize them? Because they're they're... So caricatured and cartoon form that, like, come on, we we got to be able to see. I, I did want to say a, a thing for a minute about this Anglo-Saxon tradition. Yeah, I was, he's, the exact quote being, the exact quote being, the office of sheriff is a critical part of the Anglo-American, you're right, heritage of law enforcement. And, I mean, so so I wrote a book about a sheriff, in, a white sheriff, uh, several years ago who... Governed in almost all black county. It was a good Buf- book, by the way. Thank you. Beaufort County in South Carolina. He was appointed to the position in 1922 when he was a, uh, 1926 when he was a 22-year-old kid. Still for unsure, unclear reasons, the documents of the appointment, the letter and stuff from the, sh- the governor had been destroyed. And he governed the county all the way up until 1963 um, after he allowed... Uh, Martin Luther King, Joan Baez, and other people to have an interracial planning meeting for the March on Washington at the Penn Center, which was a, a Quaker school, one of the first school for free blacks after uh, 
you know, during Reconstruction. And that was when he got voted out to another sheriff named Wallace. And, I mean, he was a deeply, deeply complicated guy who actually did try to protect the Gullah Geechee people to some extent, um, but also then used prison labor as a, a basically his own private slave force mm. to, to be a developer. And, and that now, like Hilton Head, South Carolina is part of that uh, county was part of that county. They've, they, it was a giant county, so they've divided it. Uh, that's why that is now golf courses and all of that shit is is also because of this sheriff. And it again ties together that that Anglo American uh, tradition of of the sheriff, along with um, you know, along with development and all of that. And and I mean, I really wish I could go back and rewrite that book now. I think when I was writing it in 2008, I was a lot less smart, uh, or not smart. I, Your analysis I, has grown and changed. Yeah, since that yeah. Point. I've, right. I, I'm slightly in my writing's better and all of that stuff. You know, if we weren't embarrassed of our old shit, then you should be, uh, it was a good book. Well, well, thank you. I, but, I, but it really is a good book. But I mean, but, I, but we all grow and develop and change over the years, and our consciousness changes, and we start thinking about things in different ways we didn't before. And so maybe it's time to write a little addendum. But, I, I do you know? think it would do. I mean, it made me think about that because there is a way in which the position of sheriff, in particular, was a very Anglo position. It was the person who who was the reef of the shire, right? And um, and so you could be like, oh yeah, Sessions was being, you know, but that's bullshit because we know what Sessions was. Who enforced? But the noblemen needed to be enforced in 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 in, in England in the day. Um, Robin Hood? Yeah, the Sheriff of Nottingham. Nottingham, Right, right. right. That's that's the noble Anglo tradition that he's (laughs) talking about is the sheriff. And and he was specifically doing the racist dog whistle uh, and and yet having the way out to say, oh, no, I was referring to. But this these open sort of alliances between racists and law enforcement. I mean, we here at The Real News, we had a story uh, just the other day. Um, I'll pull up the headline yesterday or so. And by Ben Norton about how uh, with the uh, Gray Zone project about how the FBI is making this big deal about uh, investigating Antifa and they're not investigating Identity Europa and these other groups that um, as well or not. They're not uh, investigating the the white supremacist movements. Um and of course, then may, hopefully they may now because when we put the story up, then Ben started getting death threats and that sort of stuff, um, as as these guys are are generally wont to do. And and we have this real weird moment where we're still there, where because they are so many law enforcement. I mean, there was that thing on on sixty Minutes a, a couple months ago where the guy was saying. You know, 15 years ago, we were skinheads, and we said, trade in the combat boots for police shoes and go join law enforcement, and and that we have this huge degree of white supremacy in in law enforcement. Even if, like here with the Gun Trace Task Force, uh, the leader of it, Wayne Jenkins, was white, and Daniel Herschel were white, and the other members of it were black, but they always would stop the powerless people in the city, and so almost all of their victims were black. Right. Right, and I, look, these, these I, was, I was I don't have the exact percentage in my head, but I can look it up and throw it out here next time if I can't find it before we finish today, which is, is the high percentage of police officers who voted for Donald Trump, the high percentage 
of white service members who voted for Donald Trump. The most armed segment of our population voted for Donald Trump. And they may be directly tied to some of these fascist groups you're talking about in this country. And I think that's something, again, we have to be really aware of. And you, 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 you can't be dismissive of it. Allow, allow people to dismiss that as kind of a conspiratorial f- thought. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, I think this is a, there's a real danger here. We could be, what we could be slipping slowly into. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a weird sort of... Uh, and, and Southern Poverty Law Center put a, a really interesting study out this week. Um, and also the, you know, the long, infinitely running uh, TV crime drama Law and Order had last week a both sidesism issue of an Ann Coulter-like figure went to their fake version of NYU to give a speech and ended up getting raped while she was there. And it was like, is it Antifa or is it the alt-right? And wow. it ended up not determining at the end who did it. And So it's moral equivalency between the the anti-fascists and these fascists. The same moral equivalency that uh, Trump has also... Right. Uh, also, I mean, I wouldn't even say that Trump had a moral equivalency in many ways because he... Has praise. I mean, he did say there are fine people on both sides, but generally he contem- he condemns anti-fascists while praising uh, racists. So yeah, but the P- Southern Southern Poverty Law Center's um, study counted over a hundred people that were killed or injured by uh, alt right people or people influenced by the alt right in the last year. So in 2017 in America, the alt right has killed a hundred people. That's amazing. Yeah. And where's that? Where are those stories? So right. I mean, so you know, we know some of them. Heather Hare in Charlottesville. Right, right, right. Um, the the guy who was uh, standing up in Portland against the the dude who who was attacking the two women and and got stabbed. But you have when you think of all of every time there's a gun nut who is, uh, you know, who goes off and shoots someone or or whatever like these. These people are also very often influenced. I mean, the guy right from right here in Hamden who went up to New York, New York. To, right. because he wanted to get more attention for killing a black man. Right. Exactly. No. 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 Right. So. 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 What does that? Um, so. What does that mean for us? What does it mean for people in the media? What does it mean for us? And what our response needs to be? I mean, and what happens when this is just news that is not the top of the news that is shunted to the side? I. I don't know. So uh, let me be clear. So I'm sorry. The the number of 100, I, I got the number wrong there as, as I was counting. So it's been 100 in the last four, three years um, rather than in the last year. Okay. But with a big uptick in the last year. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that people don't realize what anti-fascists are, spend most of their time doing is not going out to protest. Um, You know, we still do have the 59 people being charged with more than 60 years worth of of crimes for the protest on Inauguration Day. That's still going on. Yeah, that's still going on. And you're still covering it. I'm still covering it, yeah, although there's not, it's been a lull in the case. Uh, But, you know, we we still have uh, most of what these people are doing when they aren't doing that kind of stuff and working their jobs and doing food nut bombs and feeding people is going around and researching the these far right organizations because the FBI and places aren't doing it. And then like so there was supposed to be a big hate rock 
uh, music festival at a VFW out in the country here somewhere in Maryland. And anti-fascists here did enough research on it, on the people who were involved, got enough people to call the VFW that they canceled the event. Um, and so part of what they're doing hear about that. is this really small-scale organizing, infiltrating the way that Unicorn Riot got all of those Discord servers is because people who are on the anti-fascist left will set up fake internet accounts and infiltrate uh, a bunch of different groups, a bunch of different servers and pages and stuff to find out what mm. the alt-right is doing, and then they'll make that known or... Uh, make the locations known, and try to shut it down before it can ever happen. Because the idea is um, that any time there's been an actual fascist state that came into existence, it started with a very, very small number of people being sort of ignored, committing murders. I mean, remember way back when we talked to Ron Rosenbaum about the, the Munich Post, and how they right, were exposing right, right. What, what Hitler was doing when he was first coming to power. For them, the Hitler party, as they called it, was one of their main techniques was murder. It wasn't that Hitler was a great speech fire and he could make a good speech and that swayed. I mean, we have this image that the, the Germans were somehow zombies just swayed by a speech. But, like, they had a, plenty of opponents who were fucking murdered. And that's, I think, part of what we're seeing here. And how do you tell the story... For me, is how you tell the story so a broader audience in our country understands it and sees it and hears it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. maybe it starts with things like this, your alt-weekly posts across the country, um, which are really, I think, very critical. But that, but to me, that's it because it, otherwise it becomes isolated, paranoia, what are you talking about, and, and not taken seriously. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the... Uh, several weeks ago, there was the... Uh, a march on the People's March or a March for Impeachment, it was called. Oh, right. And right. it became a big battle on the left between this young, really young, inexperienced, wildly inexperienced, wildly impractical, but generally liberal uh, young guy. And then a couple different branches of hardcore, more hardcore D.C. organizers, local organizers, who were like, what are you doing? What are you trying to accomplish with this? You're not coming in. You're not accomplishing anything. And so I talked to all of the people who were sort of involved to try to figure that out. How can you create a bigger left coalition that has the serious activist organizers are able to work with and encourage and help educate the younger, enthused people who really maybe don't have a clue? How do you keep those people from coming in and doing things that might be dangerous or, uh, you know, counterproductive that hurt the efforts of the hardcore organizers? How do you get those things? I mean, and you've, you've been through this before of right. being involved with you know, the more hardcore left, as then suddenly everybody starts smoking dope and deciding they're going to be, uh, <laughs> you know, they're going to be against the war and stuff. And I'm not discrediting those people who, right, who, right, right, who right. dope is great. Uh, you know, and and so I'm, I'm not trying to, to discredit their wokeness there, but, but uh, how did y'all handle that before? They didn't. The left was split. You know, I mean... Really split. I mean, it's, it's like it's right now. I'm having conversations with a lot of young people now about um, this election and these elections and how we and how do you, and how you how do we approach this? I mean, you yeah yeah, yeah the Democrats are neoliberals, but there's a fascist in the White House. 
or people around him are fascists or whatever that is. And I think that this, there's no easy there's no easy answer to this. I mean, I think that um, fighting in the street makes you feel good when you're fighting in the street. I know that, <laughs> you know, from my own life. <laughs> but it doesn't. So, but what? So, and then what? And then what? I, had, I was on the phone. Remember we interviewed High Thurman? Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. So High Thurman is one of the founders of the Young Patriots. You know, they now have like a dozen Young Patriot ch- chapters in places like Birmingham, Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama, um, Seattle, uh, the Ozarks, mostly young white people, working class, who are trying to say, this is we're, we're going to build something different. That's what it takes. It takes people actually being on the ground in organizations saying, no, we don't accept this and we're going to stand up against it and organize. So it, it takes hardcore work with the help of stories that inspire and expose. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, and one other weird thing that happened along those lines this week. So uh, Quinn Norton, who's a technology writer, was hired by the New York Times editorial board to be on their uh, to be an opinion writer and was fired on the same day. Uh, because of uh, sort of even more Scaramucci than Scaramucci in, in some ways, but because of some of her previous tweets and um, friendship with Weave, who is one of the people that was uh, line editing, a white supremacist, uh, I forget, the Daily Stormer, an editor at the Daily Stormer, who was also line editing Milo Yiannopoulos' story. We found out when those emails came out through BuzzFeed, and, uh, you know, Norton's response to that was, I, you know, we can't change these people if we don't engage with them. I Also, there was the thing with Chelsea Manning went to the weird... Uh, yeah, what was went that? to the weird Cernovich thing, and it looked with uh, Cassandra Fairbanks, who who is uh, another sort of far right uh, Twitter personality. Same with Cernovich, and you know she said she was there to troll them and no selfies and stuff. And it turned out there then were uh, selfies, and and it's unclear. But I I do, and I, I don't. Necessi- I don't really have sympathy for Norton or, or you know, if, if you're friends with Nazis and stuff, then, you know, and you got to pay the consequences for being friends with Nazis. But I do think there's a way in which we do need to engage with, uh, whether it be with with uh, protests and, and, you know, fists maybe even, uh, as in the Richard Spencer punching and stuff, or... Uh, with conversations with with these people because and that's part of you know to back on high thurman the the redneck revolt people also are really were doing counter organizing at places that the left has just abandoned right at gun shows at nascar races at and they believe that a lot of these people just want to belong and want to find meaning you know our, our lives really have been through neoliberalism and stuff, stripped of meaning in so many ways that people are try- are returning to race to find their meaning. They're returning to whiteness or identity Europa, their fucking European identity or whatever else. And, and we do need to offer a better either class 
model, um, you know, of working class solidarity or something to reach out to the Nazis uh, or maybe not reach out, but to try to convince them, hey, you're, you're uh, being a fucking idiot. You're a Nazi. <laughs> well, so there's a difference between Nazis and people who are just out and out racist and fascist and the bulk of people who in our country who don't realize, even think about themselves being racist, right? And I think this, the, the, when I th- was thinking, as you were speaking, I was thinking about the, the what was going on in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. A, there was a labor movement with a lot of strength. That labor movement pushed a lot of white working class people to the left, just because of the nature of the struggle to, right, to organize right. unions, right? And it also forced white and black workers to work together inside of unions. Remember in Baltimore here, there were there were segregated unions. You used to have whether it was a carpenters union, longshoremen unions. You can, you name them. They were they were a black local and there's a white local. So we had that problem here from the beginning, from the get go. So, but unions pushed things to the left. And then, black power happened in the late '60s, and a lot of white revolutionaries, radicals, and left leftists moved into working class white communities to organize. It's a different world today, but that's what happened. Um, and that create that's why that's one reason they killed Fred Hampton in 1969. Why they blew him away? Why the police killed him? Who was the leader of the Black Panther Party in Chicago? He was and it was killed in 1969, and he was murdered because they built a rainbow coalition. And that rainbow coalition that was built um, uh, brought together poor whites, blacks, Puerto Ricans, and Mexicans in Chicago in a unified group. They couldn't have that. So the symbol of that was Hampton. If he was killed, things began, this fell apart. But it takes that kind of work, not being killed. Maybe it does sometimes. Maybe you do get killed. You do get hurt. You do go to jail. That shit happens as well. Um, But we're in a different era. What form does that take now is the question, right? Um, And I think that's something we really have not. I think about people like, look, I know, there are people I know who I like as human beings, who I would consider friends, who would I've done for and they've done for me, who voted for fucking Trump. Yeah. Family members and... and... Right? And so that's... so it, and, and, and I think that it takes a lot of work and a lot of struggle to change that, change that, to change that paradigm. Right. Like, as white people, if we write off all the other fucked up white people, then, like, you know... If anybody's going to get through to them, it's going to be us. Like, they, they, by being racist, we're the only ones that are, and by being sexist, as us being dudes. Right. Like, who the right. fuck else are they going to listen to? Or, you know, I mean, they're either going to be listening to the goddamn uh, Cernoviches and Kesslers and and uh, all of these sort of, you know, Shane McGowan and, and, not Shane McGowan, he's the Pogues guy, fucking uh, uh, <laughs> Gavin McGinnis and... and uh, these dudes, you know, they're going to be listening to the, these uh, proud boy motherfuckers rather than than. Uh, so, like, we we can't write it off, but like, God, it's tough to want to go talk to to. It's t- everybody doesn't have to do that, but, but but nobody's really doing it is the problem, right? I think that's um, everybody has a different role. I mean, um. Just like I was working on the Washington Free Press and helped start Liberation News Service back in the late 60s, you're not doing your real news gig and doing the Baltimore Beat as a journalist. I mean, that's what you do. You know, you're not a tenant organizer. 
You're not going to become a tenant organizer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, maybe that's a. And I, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm really glad that that you do what you do, and uh, you know, because we we this is a moment where journalism and thoughtfulness and memory, um, you know, are are really valued, and and I feel more and more like there's a, a mission, especially here, to that that like if we don't do this, you know. We're fucked. We are, and, so, and I'm, I'm really wrestling with a lot of stuff right now, which you can talk about another day, which is that there are all these really cool people. Does, I guess I've run to 50 campaigns now in the country, but they're Democrats running for Congress, or running, and, and they are progressive, and a lot of them are white, and a bunch of them are vets from Iraq and Afghanistan. And the problem is there are, the hope and the promise is that they're Democrats which means you get sucked into that world and you become part of that neoliberal world that blunts anything you want to do for serious change. But they're there. So what do you do? Ignore them and go, okay, fuck them. I'm not going to vote for them because they're in this neoliberal party. I mean, so... You right, know, then you go become some DSA kind of crackpot off to the, you know, I mean, like... <laughs> like, and I, not, I'm not against the, the democratic socialists, but, like, they're not going to be getting elected. And, and so, or, you know, I was a Green Party... Uh, I ran a political campaign in, in the 90s for the Green Party. You and did? Like, yeah, yeah. Where was that? New Mexico. It, it was <laughs> oh, the, <right. laughs> For Bob Anderson was our candidate, and uh, we got 17% of the vote. It was a special election, and we, in fact, got Heather Wilson, uh, a horrible <laughs> Republican, elected to Congress. Uh, but we kept, uh, I think his first name was Phil uh, Maloof, who was part of the Coors family of, like, major corporate de- Democrats out, too. So, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I know that. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I have. I mean, I have this left the, the debate in my own family around the left and what you should do. Yeah, I mean, right. And in this office, and and yeah, every. I mean, and we should be doing that. Everyone should be debating this stuff as much as we can. And uh, you know, at the bars and the coffee shops and the bus stops, and uh, because talking with each other is the thing that that helps us get outside of our own. Uh, I mean, that's the Socratic mission where where sort of I one of the main things in my life is trying to get out of being stuck in my own head and see the world from something uh, beyond that and outside of that. So so to all of our people that we do talk to, man, I, I really appreciate y'all for for talking yes, with us. Absolutely. And, and for the people listening, our number one fan, Terrence, also uh, super psyched that that to know when you hear that somebody's listening. Uh, though a lot of people are listening, but but one person that I see is always. Uh, ask him where's the, what happened to the podcast. Parents, <laughs> so, we're back again. So it's gonna go out. Yeah. So uh, much love and grim solidarity. And last time I said power to the people, but I gotta come up with something a little bit better. That's actually for the 21st century. But right now we'll leave it there. Mm-hmm.